blessing. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would open up Matthew 21, the 12th to the 22nd verses, to our hearts, not just to our minds, not just to our ears, but to our hearts. Lord, help our spirits and our souls to discern what you're saying to the church this morning. We know that you went into Jerusalem because your time had come. Lord, so many of us live our lives never realizing that our time has come. We let life slip out of our hands and we let eternity come before us without knowing for real, deep down inside, knowing for sure that we are yours. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name today. Amen. You're going to give me a palm branch? Gary, God bless you. Is that for me? You want to come up? Why do you want to come up, Gary? Would somebody bring me a chair for Gary? Are you okay to sit while I preach, Gary? This is a big step. Let me get up higher on you. Big step. Oh, let me get you a chair. Here's a chair coming. Thank you, Christian. Gary, I'm going to let you sit right here, okay? And I'll give you your palm branch back. Hold on, okay? <laughs> when I get it right, you say amen. Okay. <laughs> Shortly after I came to Westbrook Park to be your pastor, I was preaching, and of course, as you know, many of you weren't here then, <laughs> and many who were here are no longer with us, some by virtue of time and some by virtue of choice. I had a pastor who preceded me somewhere else, and he used to tell the staff there that a church is like a train. It stops, it goes, it stops and goes, and every time it stops, somebody gets off and somebody gets on. I never liked that. But the longer time goes, I realize he's right. I came to you and I preached. One day, somebody from this church came into the church office. I will not tell you who. I'll not reveal that to you. But they came into the church office. And they said to the receptionist, to the office manager, I wish he would just get to it. She said, what do you mean, just get to it? I wish he would just get to it because I'm too old. I want to know if I'm going to heaven or not. Wow. Can I tell you something? I don't have to get to it because I know in my heart of hearts where my destination is. I know where this journey ends. And I can't get to it for you. You've got to get to it if you haven't got there yet. Jesus was getting very near to his destination. Jesus had no uncertainty about what lay beyond his death. But he still knew as he came down into Jerusalem how ugly it was really going to get. Have you ever noticed that most everything Jesus does brings life? What do you mean by that, Joel? Well, John 3.17 says this. Think about this scripture for a minute. We all know John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. But John 3.17 says this. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might.
might be saved through him. Think about that for a minute. John was really getting to it in that 17th verse. Why is Jesus here? Why did Jesus come to earth? He came so that we could be saved. But in the text this morning, Jesus is doing something that doesn't sound quite that loving, does it? He cleanses the temple and he curses a fig tree. And Matthew, in writing this story, where he writes it, is trying to clue us into something. The, the temple, the center of Jewish worship had become, in Jesus' words, a den of thieves or a den of robbers. The nation of Israel itself had lost its fruitfulness. They were worthless in Jesus' estimation. And here in what was known as the court of the Gentiles, because you could not go into the inner court of the temple, so that was reserved for Levites. But there was a court of the Gentiles, there was a court of the treasury, there was a court for the women, there was a various places you could go as an outsider. And here in the Gentile court, given to outsiders and outcasts, people that would have come from long distances in order to celebrate Passover, it was open to the public in order to allow others to learn about Yahweh, about Jehovah, about the true God. But when Jesus got there, he saw something going on that he couldn't reconcile in his heart. It had become a marketplace. It had become a grocery store of sorts. It had become a place to rob people and to cheat people because as people came from great distances to celebrate Passover, they would have to buy animals and they were getting ripped off. And here comes Jesus and what's he do? He says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. And you've made it a den of thieves. Well, just so you know, and just for, just for good measure, you should know that in the Gospel of John, Jesus has already done this once before. Jesus has already cleansed the temple, according to John, before this. So Jesus, in cursing a fig tree, and in going into the temple and calling out the marketplace, the vendors, he's doing what he had said to his mom and dad long before he would be doing. He was about his father's business. So let me ask you today, if Jesus went to the temple to be about his father's business, why are you here today? Why are you here today? Let's take this a verse at a time. Jesus entered the temple. He drives out all who sold and bought in that temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold. And he said to them, it's been written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Do you ever wonder why did Jesus use that phrase, a den of thieves or a den of robbers? Most thieves and most robbers, they like to hide. They don't like to be seen. And the religious leaders, the ones who were clothed right and looked good were the very ones that he was talking about. Some of these people were using the temple to advance their own personal cause. They were using their religion, their so-called faith in that religion to cover up their sin. You know, when Paul the Apostle would come long after this, not that long after this, but after Jesus, he would write to a young preacher, Timothy, and he would say to Timothy these words, First of all, he's trying to teach Timothy about being a pastor. First of all, I urge that supplication and prayer and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all people, for the kings, for those in high places, 
that you would lead a peaceful and quiet life, that you would be godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. The Gentiles that came in there to, to, to visit, the Jews that came from far off, here were their religious leaders, here were their so-called Sadducees and, and Pharisees, looking real good, but not really doing what they were supposed to be doing. Happens more often than you'd like to think. And it says, strangely enough, that after Jesus had cleansed the temple, the blind and the lame came to the temple and he healed them. Can I tell you something about what God has in mind? It's pretty basic. It'll be pretty brass when it comes off my lips. But I think this really is kind of cutting to the chase. God wants us to help people, not to swindle them. That's pretty simple, isn't it? God wants us to help people, not to swindle them. What did Jesus do? Think about verses like this from the Gospels. Jesus went to all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom while healing every disease and every affliction. He just went around helping people. When John was in prison, John the Baptist that is, and he sends to Jesus and he says, man, maybe I got this wrong. Listen to what Jesus sends back. You go tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf are hearing, the dead have been raised up, and the poor are having the gospel of the good news of Jesus preached to them. Jesus just said, I'm helping people. It's all being exactly the way it's supposed to be. But then look at what the chief priests do in the very next verse. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that Jesus did. What were the wonderful things? Look at the verse again. The blind, the lame are coming to him out there in that outer court, and he's healing them. And when the religious leaders, the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who should have been helping people, saw it, when they watched the children crying out, Hosanna to the, Hosanna to the Son of David, when they saw Jesus doing the matter that he was about, healing and helping people, what happened to them? They became indignant. Now, I don't know what your understanding of indignant is, but indignant is not a smiling face like Gary right here. Indignant is, I'm mad. Indignant is, I'm upset. And here's Jesus doing all the right things. Here's these little children crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, he is the Lord. And the religious leaders, they got the frown face, don't they? They're so unhappy. If you get a chance, I went recently to see Jesus Revolution. Have you heard that? There's a movie out called Jesus Revolution. It'll be leaving the theaters soon. If you get a chance to go see it, I know some of you have. Uh, there's a scene in there. We're out in California. The hippies are coming into the church. And the old standbys in the church aren't happy about the hippies coming into the church. They got that frown on their face. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. I mean, they claimed that they were happy. They claimed that the Lord had done for something for them. But their faces told another story. 
They weren't happy at all with what Jesus was doing. Healing people, they should have been shouting, bring more. Giving sight to the blind, they should have been running around gathering people up. Little children praising the Lord. They should have been rejoicing, but what were they? They were bitter. They're unhappy. And they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? <laughs> Jesus' response is so great. And yeah, because I read it in the Old Testament. I read it, what the prophets said. They said, out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you will hear praise. Jesus said, that's it. They're praising God right there. And, and the scribes and the Pharisees, their heads about blew off because they saw Jesus being praised by these children, and he just claimed that they're praising God, which means they were praising him, and that it's in God, and he's being blasphemed. Can I remind you of something? If you got that palm branch today, and you all got one, I hope, wave that thing for a minute. Can you imagine as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, singing and shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, loud. I mean, it's, it's a celebration, okay? Can you remember what Jesus had said earlier in his ministry? It went like this. The Pharisees in the crowd came to Jesus, and they said to him in Luke 19, verse 38, Jesus, you rebuke your disciples. In other words, Jesus, you make your disciples unhappy like we are. Jesus, you make your disciples become indignant like we are. Jesus, tell those guys to frown at what's going on here. And you know what Jesus responded in Luke 19, 38 and 39? He said, if they are silent, the stones will cry out. He said, if these people get quiet and become like you, I'll just make the stones praise me. One way or another, it's going to happen. book of John, the gospel of John, I put this, I think I put it on the screen, I did, uh, verses 47 and 48 of the 11th chapter, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, what are we going to do? This man performs many signs. If we allow him to go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You ever been put in that position? Where you're uncomfortable with the good that God's doing, so uncomfortable that you feel like you yourself might be displaced. That's what's going on with this indignant crowd right here. If he keeps this up, he'll just take over. Jesus left them. That is the temple now. I'm back at the temple with the indignant crowd, with the children crying out, with the blind and the lame being healed, with the money changers' tables all rolled over, Jesus begins to leave. And to where does he go? He goes to Bethany. And it says he lodged there. Bethany was two miles to the east. It's very, very small. A few weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I wasn't here the week before, it was last week, I preached to you from John chapter 11. It was the story of Lazarus. Remember Lazarus is dead and Jesus hesitates to go. When he finally does go, Lazarus is dead and Jesus gets to the tomb and he raises Lazarus back to life. 
That's Bethany. Bethany was the place where Mary and Martha lived. Jesus' uh, Lazarus's brother and sister. You'll recall the story from John where Jesus goes to have dinner. And while he's there, uh, there's two, two different accounts. We believe one for sure was Mary Magdalene, but we believe the other was the Mary here that was the sister of Martha. And both of them happened in Bethany where they get this box of ointment and they begin to wash Jesus' feet with their, the ointment and with the tears. And, and she begins to anoint Jesus because his death is coming. All of those things happened in Bethany. Down in Jerusalem where he has just been, he's got the indignant mind. I kind of tend to think that Jesus is going back to Bethany because he finds a real faithful group there, a real following there, if you would. He finds family there. He finds people he can trust. I know some of you won't care for this next illustration. But you know Bon Jovi? <laughs> bon Jovi sings, Who Says You Can't Go Home? I think for Jesus, Bethany was kind of like home. Remember the old TV show in the 80s, Tears? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. And they're always glad you came. I mean, down there in Jerusalem, that wasn't what was happening. The indignant mind, the scribes, the Pharisees. What are we going to do about him? We're going to frown. We're going to do all we can to destroy him. And Jesus leaves all that and heads to this little insignificant place where Mary and Martha and Lazarus are there. You know, in Jerusalem... There were at least two million people gathered for Passover. Two million people? If you were ever going to reveal yourself, Jesus, that'd be the place to do it. But amongst the two million, he finds them in the Gentile court tipping over tables because they're making the Father's house that's supposed to be a house of prayer a den of thieves. And when he begins to heal people and give sight recovery to the blind, he's just challenged by the indignant scribes and Pharisees. It wasn't a place that you'd ever want to go. It wasn't a place where they wanted to hear your name. In fact, it was a place where in just a short while he's going to die. He heads out to Bethany. He heads out to home. And he spends the night. And that's why verse 18 tells us this. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. You know, Janice got up this morning, was going to see her mom. And uh, her mom's in a nursing facility, a memory unit. And uh, she said to me last night, she went to the store and she bought things to make her mom breakfast. Going to make it at home, take it to her mom. We don't have any power. <laughs> I said, hey, I think McDonald's is going to be your breakfast today. Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem. And just like us, he wanted breakfast. You know, if you were to look at the book of Hebrews, you would read this word. I, I just want you to get this. 
We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. That verse in Hebrews 7, I think it's the 15th verse, what that means is, is Jesus was just like us in so many respects. He got hungry. You may recall early in Matthew's gospel, he is, he is tempted for 40 days, and it says he was tempted by the devil with what? With hunger. But I'm not sure that that physical hunger is what really was going on with Jesus this day. He's been to Jerusalem. He did everything we talked about earlier in this passage. He goes to Bethany, and now he's headed back into Jerusalem, and it says he was hungry. I tend to believe, understand, church, Jerusalem is the religious center of Jewish worship. As Jesus is headed back in, to the religious center of Jewish worship. As Jesus is headed back into Passover, big deal. As he's headed back in to where everything should have been fulfilling to him, the hungrier he got. Do you get that? The closer he got to the indignant ones, the closer he got to the place that should have been fulfilling, the nearer he got, the hungrier he got. it seems to me that when he left the night before to go out to Bethany, there was a reason for that. Because amongst Lazarus and Mary and Martha and the other few people that might have been there, maybe Mary Magdalene, to this day it's not a big place. I mean, it's, it's not a big place at all. Could it be that amongst the few, the faithful that he considered to be family, that that's where he found real fullness? I used to have a pastor, my favorite, and he used to say to me this. He used to say to all of us this, when Jesus is the only attraction, the crowds will be small. And I think that's true. Jesus is headed back to Jerusalem. There was two million people, but nobody recognized him. Back there in Bethany, the ones who... Lord said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. The ones that, that said, Lord, even now, if you, if you say it, he will live. The ones who displayed that mustard seed faith and were willing to just take what they had and anoint him. Because deep down somewhere inside of them, they, they knew exactly who he was. That's where he found his strength. And in the 21st chapter of Matthew 19, as he's headed back into Jerusalem, he sees a fig tree by the wayside. He goes to it, and he finds nothing on it but leaves. And he says to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Does it surprise you that Jesus curses a fig tree? That ought, that ought to surprise you. I just told you he heals the sick, he makes the lame walk, he gives sight to the blind, he's always doing good stuff. And here he is headed back into Jerusalem, and he's hungry, so he goes over to a fig tree, and all he finds is leaves. So he curses it. Now you may think that he's cursing that fig tree because he's angry with it, and you'd be wrong. The, the master of the universe in a cloth 
who gave life to each one of us gathered here today and who planted that fig tree, walked up to the fig tree, and essentially killed it. Keep in mind where he's been and where he's headed to. That fig tree meant something. Back there, where he got full, where he got rest, where he had friends, where he found family, they loved him. And as he's headed back into Jerusalem, where they were supposed to love him, where they even waved palm branches the day before, but they didn't really understand why, there was something missing. And that tree, that fig tree represents it. There's leaves, it looks good. But there's no fruit. This is Jesus' last week of public ministry. We make so much on the front end of his first week of public ministry. He turns the water into wine, he heals everybody. He is headed back into Jerusalem, headed back into the religious center uh, of the Jewish life. And he sees this fig tree with leaves that looks great. And he's hungry, but he can't find anything to eat on it. And it's his last week of public ministry. And I think, I think he's going to say something. Some of you have known me for a while, and I, I shouldn't do this here, but it just popped in my head. That's where I get in trouble when things pop in my head. <laughs> this will be where Eric has to go in and edit the tapes that we put out on Facebook. Years ago, I pastored a church for one year. And they were my worst nightmare. I've never had a nightmare. I just want you to know that I really like you, and some of you think I'm a sick eunuch for saying that. But anyway, <laughs> I had this church, and it was my worst nightmare. Just before my last Sunday there, I had four weeks of vacation I took. But I reserved that last Sunday that I was going to go back and preach. And my district superintendent came to me and said, why don't you just take that last Sunday off? <laughs> I said, oh, no. No, 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 no. No, I'm going to preach on my last Sunday. You better believe I preached. Jesus is headed into Jerusalem. It's his last week of ministry. And what does he do? He kills a fig tree. There'll never be fruit on you again. He curses that fig tree. It wasn't about the fig tree. It was about Jerusalem. It was about those that were supposed to worship him. It was about the hunger in his heart for a people that were lost. It was about a people who looked good but had no fruit to their name. That fig tree rep represented the nation of Israel. Back in Jeremiah, Old Testament, not the Gospels, Old Testament, Jeremiah had said this. I would have gathered them, declares the Lord, but there are no grapes on their vine or fig trees on their fig tree. Even their leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from me. Jeremiah's prophesying about the nation of Israel. God says, I gave them and gave them and gave them, and what I gave them is dying. There's a passage in Hosea I could quote to you, I'm not going to, but when the disciples saw Jesus, curse that fig tree. Look at what it says. They marveled. They said, how could it be that this fig tree dies in a split second? How could this have happened? 
Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, if you've got faith and don't doubt, you will not only do what's been done to this fig tree, but if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive it if you have faith. Church, you may be saying today, Joel, it's Palm Sunday. What are you talking about? Cursing fig trees. Church, that fig tree looked good, didn't it? But there was no production happening. There was really nothing happening. And those indignant Jews down there on the very grounds of the temple who looked like they were there for all the right reasons were just the leaves on that tree because there was no fruit in their lives. And here comes the source of all growth. Here comes the source of all life. Jesus himself into their midst. And he says, you got this wrong. You're not supposed to make this a den of thieves and a house of robbers. And he dumps over the tables and he says, this place is supposed to be a house of prayer. And the little children began to shout, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. And Jesus looks and there's a blind man and he touches him and he sees. He sees a lame man. He reaches down and pulls him up and he walks. And all of this is happening. And meanwhile, those leaves have got their arms folded, their crowns on their face looking as if they know better than anybody else and realizing he's got to go down. That'll bring me to my bottom line for you. What we do reveals what our heart hides. That indignant frown on their faces revealed what was really happening in their hearts. They lived it out that next week. They crowd, beat him, scourge him, spit on him, all the things that you'll hear about this week, and then they killed him. But what was going on in the heart of Jesus? Heal the sick, give sight to the blind, raise the dead, do the things you're supposed to be doing. You see, he was amongst two million, maybe a little bit less, hypocrites. Why does Jesus go back to the few in Bethany? Why does he go back to Lazarus? Because I think in Lazarus he found faith. Why does he go back to Mary Magdalene? I think there he finds healing. Why does he go back to Mary and Martha? I think there he finds love. I think back there in that little burg called Bethany, Jesus found the fruit that he expects to find in us. There at that temple, he found nothing but deception. Ripping people off, taking their money and feeding them along the way. And as they dumped their change into their, their purses, they revealed what was really going on inside of them, their inward motives. As long as it benefits me. As long as I have the short-term benefit of a fat pocketbook. I won't worry about the long-term matters of eternity. And back in Bethany, Jesus found Lazarus, who was dead but lived. Mary Magdalene, who was poor but loved. And Mary and Martha, who knew what it meant to serve. I want to share with you a video that has to do with the hypocrisy, or at least the perceived hypocrisy of the church today. As I show it to you, I'll simply 
say this to you. It was made in 2012. Google has since changed their algorithms. But in 2012, when this was made, it was really what happened. Take a look. shine your light for all to see oh god it's you In the temple, inside the walls of the temple, the outer walls, Jesus found corruption. He found fruitless lives. He found people that dressed well, but didn't act so well. So he went back to Bethany for the night. There he found Lazarus of faith. There he found healing, Mary Magdalene. There he found love and service, Mary and Martha. In the religious place where he should have found those things, he found nothing but deception, hatred for him, intolerance. And what they did there revealed what was happening in them. Church, live your lives in such a way that what flows out of you and your actions comes from a heart that knows Jesus, that is in relationship with him. I want to get to it with you this morning. We're going to go through Easter this week, and we will celebrate all the things that we do. But at the end of the day, what it's about is a God who loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross for our sins. And when we choose him for ourselves, when we ask him to forgive us and to come into our lives, our eternity is set in motion to live with him forever. So many of us go through the motions, and we're much like a fig tree with leaves but no fruit. Because what's going on inside of us isn't going on. Once you accept Christ, once you choose him for yourself, what will flow out of your living, I believe, I know, will reveal what he's done inside of you. If he hasn't done that work in you, church, be sure you deal with that. Couldn't think of a better time to do it than today or this week coming. God bless you. Let's sing together.